Welcome to Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Your host, Jeanette Linfoot, talks to incredible people about their experiences and unleashing their full potential. From the boardroom tables of big international business to the dining room tables of entrepreneurial startups, embracing opportunities, overcoming challenges, taking risks, while staying true to yourself is where the magic happens. Welcome to the Brave Bold Brilliant podcast. I'm your host, Jeanette Linfoot, and I am here today with a fantastic guest from the world of gymnastics. And I'm delighted that Nick Ruddock is here with me on the podcast. Now, Nick started as a gymnast himself at the age of five and then moved into the coaching world at 15. And um, he was the former national coach for Team GB and now has his own business where he coaches coaches and has a whole range of services in the world of gymnastics. So I'm absolutely delighted to have Nick on the podcast. Welcome, Nick. Thank you, Jeanette. Thank you. I really appreciate the uh, opportunity to come and talk to you and, and for your audience today. Oh, fantastic. Honestly, it's a delight to have you here. It really is. Um, so, Nick, I, I would like us to start, if you don't mind, the way that I start most of my podcasts, which is hearing about your journey, where life started for you and kind of where you are today. Bring us up to speed, if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. So as you've uh, alluded to already, my uh, childhood, my passion as a child was gymnastics. And so my mum my took me to gymnastics classes when I was sort of five, six years old. And that was the best hour or two hours of my week for the next kind of 10 years from there. And um, rather organically stepped into the world of coaching when I was 15, which is, I guess, what a lot of people do in, in sport. They they go from being a, a participant and they transition over into coaching. And, and that's how it worked for me. And uh, immediately felt that coaching was something that I just loved doing. You know, I just you just couldn't get me out of the gym. You know, any extra hours I was there and learning and shadowing people, being mentored. Um, and just working with essentially low-level recreational gymnasts as well, the same as, as my background. And again, pretty organically, that kind of transition to, towards more of the performance sport world. And again, through mentorship, through some extensive traveling around the world, working with some really great coaches, I was able to kind of dip my, foot, uh, my toe into the water of elite sport. And again, once I'd done that, there was no stopping me in terms of my passion, um, you know, the inspiration that I got from it, the motivation. And again, I just made the conscious decision. This is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And, um, you know, in a nutshell, it's been a, a pretty, well, it's been a, a, a crazy, um, God, it makes me sound old now saying this and I'm only 33, but uh, I'm thinking about how long I've been coaching for, you know, it's 17, 18 years now. It's been a pretty crazy period, you know, lots of different roles, lots of travel around the world. Um, and eventually now ending up with running uh, a business which provides education and support services to people everywhere in the world. It's quite amazing, really, that you think that you start off just by doing an hour of gymnastics a week and then that can turn out being your career. And I think that's where we see really the beauty of sport and what sport can do for people's lives. Well, that is that's fantastic. And, and you know, to have that clarity at such a young age, um, I'd say is quite unusual because uh, a lot of people, well, some people never find their true calling or purpose in life. I mean, let's be honest. Yep. Uh, but to have found it so young um, and to actually make that decision that, you know, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life is is pretty big statement, isn't it, Nick? Um, yes, I think so. And, and And actually, at the time, I was going to be delving into the world of like 
computers, app development technology. And, and that's something that I was good at. And I probably didn't really know actually until gymnastics coaching came around what I did want to do. Like, again, like you said, mm-hmm. like most people. Um, and so I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to do something to do with technology. And then when gymnastics came along, I just, that was, that just got parked straight away. And uh, yes, very fortunate. And, and I guess there's a message there, isn't it? That I think we should always lead with passion. And, uh, and for me, it, it was, there was no question that gymnastics was going to be the future for me. Yeah, and I think that's a really interesting point you make, Nick, actually, because, you know, if you genuinely love what you do, um, I find it brings out the best in you. Um, And if you can merge your kind of profession with your passion, as you have done, um, that's a pretty, pretty special place to be, I think, in life. Yeah, I agree. And, And I think sometimes you've got to work out some of the finer details as you go. Because, mm. you know, in gymnastics, um, in terms of jobs, you know, okay, you can, you can, you can be a coach in a club. There are some, some higher profile positions, if you like, like national coaching roles, but ultimately it comes down to, okay, you're going to be a coach. If you're going to, if you're going to work in gymnastics as a career, you're probably going to be a coach. Um, and that, that's great for a lot of things, but it's, you know, also carries very unsociable hours. The salaries aren't particularly high. So you've got to balance out mm. kind of your life lifestyle choices, and for some people, they'd see that as a barrier straight away. For me, it wasn't a barrier. It was just an opportunity. So certainly when I started to transition into it being a business as opposed to a job, mm. I had to make that decision of, okay, I want to be in gymnastics. It's what I love to do. I'm not particularly convinced that the lifestyle that comes with it is going to be perfect for my long-term future. So how can I make that transition? How can I take gymnastics, which actually isn't really in that place as an industry yet, into being somewhere that I can actually create a really viable business, which creates further opportunities for me in the future. And so I think a lot of people get stuck on the barriers as opposed to just thinking one step at a time, and then you can kind of slowly make the transitions. Yeah. And I think that's right. Seeing sort of, you know, that when those possible barriers come up, seeing them as reframing it almost in your mind and seeing it as opportunity is is pretty key. And it sounds like from what you said, said there, Nick, that actually you, were you creating a sort of a a business proposition that wasn't really commonly out there in the world of gymnastics at the time? Was that quite, quite disruptive for you, for what you did at the, the setting things up? Do you know, I think you're absolutely right. Disruptive is the word. Um, and I pride myself on that. I get excited by that. You know, it's, being first to market is has a lot of opportunities, as you know, a lot of benefits. So for me, um, I actually dipped into the world of of um, consulting. First of all, that was my first kind of step into you know being independent, if you like, um, not mm. not taking a, a salary. And so that that to have a full time consultant in gymnastics was pretty much unheard of. Like some people would do it as a side hustle. You know, they'd mm. be a coach in their club and then every now and then another club would say, you know, would you come and do a, a session for us? And, you know, you've got a little bit of consultancy on the side, but to do it full time actually was very disruptive. And, and then to create the other businesses or the other services, I should say on the back of that, like the events, live events, again, was something that just wasn't done within the industry and still to an extent isn't really done now. And that's been exciting for me to create almost like a new industry, a new part of the market, which we can explore. So, um, yeah, you're absolutely right. I've certainly kind of, um, I'm not going to say paved the way for others. I won't put myself um, quite out there that much, but certainly created some opportunities and some, um, some avenues that maybe people wouldn't have considered before. Yeah, and I think it is interesting because when we first started talking about the world of gymnastics, you tend to think, okay, well, it's all about the sport, right? It's all about the, you know, the performance, the results, winning medals, helping people get to that that level. But actually, 
you know, you're you're in the business world, very firmly in the business world as an entrepreneur as well with what you're doing. And uh, I think sometimes people wouldn't always think and connect sports with business. Um, But clearly, that's something that you've done very successfully. But also, I think there's a lot of kind of, I suppose, uh, takeaways from the world of sports that can be translated into the world of business or in life in general, actually. Um, so it'd be interesting to get your thoughts on that, Nick, actually, and, and kind of what you see are the big things that happen in the sporting world that can translate into the business world um, and to help people who are maybe listening with that. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. It's And, and there's a lot of literature on this. Um, I've taken a lot of inspiration from it myself, but there are so many similarities between those two worlds because ultimately they're both the worlds of performance. So, if, so no one really runs a business, you know, without wanting it to really thrive. <laughs> And there's not many people that are coaching in the world of performance gymnastics that don't want their athletes to thrive as well. And I think there's some real commonalities between the two, um, you know, coming down to preparation. Like you would never send an athlete to, to a competition without being really, really prepared. You know, you've got to have a plan. You've got to have a strategy in place and you've got to be really reflective about the results that you're getting and, and whether that strategy is serving you or sabotaging you. Um Goal setting, which is obviously at the heart of strategy. You, again, with your athletes, you know they need to be inspired, they need to be motivated, and a part of that is going to be down to are their kind of goals set for them to work towards. And again, I'd say that it's exactly the same thing mm. in business as well. And a combination. I mean, the goals and the strategy really create that that purposefulness in your everyday activity. Mm. So, so as a gymnastics coach, if I'm working towards a big competition. So I was in the gym yesterday with a with a very high level athlete for Team GB, and she is training very deliberately towards next year's Olympic Games. Now there is so much intention behind everything that she's doing. You know, she can't waste a day. Um, everything that she does in the gym has an objective behind it. There is a standard that she needs to perform to, and I think all of these things we can take in business as well, so that we're not wasting time, we're not race- wasting resources, and we're not just being busy, but we're being productive. And I'm sure you've seen that as well from the work that you do. There's a real difference between being busy. We can all do that and actually being productive, you know, making the business move forwards or in my, my world as well, making your athlete, you know, get better day by day. Yeah, God, there's so much in there. And, and I think another area which I think often comes up, Nick, is incremental gains. And, you know, which it's the small things often that really make the big difference at the end of the day, isn't it? So I, I guess that's, that's very much, you know, in your world as well of gymnastics. Absolutely. Yeah. Those, I mean, it's certainly obviously at the top level with the, the performance athletes, you know, those 1% and, and half a percent are incredibly important when compounded over time, you know, so a whole year with a 1% gain is, is significant when that athlete raises their arms to the judges in the competition floor. And that's probably one of the biggest difference, of course, that we see between higher performing environments and lower performing environments. So I consult internationally, but also at very domestic club level, you know, your local clubs, recreational level. And when you walk into a less established environment, let's call it a lower performing environment, you're not looking at the marginal gains. You've got these, mm. these significant opportunities that are in front of you that you can make huge leaps with 20, 30% gains, you know, from the obvious stuff. But yeah, when you've, when you've kind of, um, you've ironed all those out, what you're left with is going to be a collective or a series of much smaller gains. And I think an important thing there, a note, is about prioritization. It's understanding which ones will help you move the needle. 
and which mm. ones maybe aren't quite as important because let's be honest there's always opportunities in business and in sport you know and in business it could be well, what social media platform am i going to try and leverage the most you know am i going to do a podcast or is it going to be a, a series of webinars you know do i run an event or um you know should i run some um, I don't know, some online courses instead. You know, there's always opportunities, but you've got to really look at it from a strategic perspective and say, well, where's my time best spent? And where am I going to get the best return on investment? And ultimately, yeah. you know, in sport and business, our biggest commodity is time, right? Yeah. So we've got to get the most out of that. Yeah, wow, there's so much in there. And it was funny because when we were talking before we started the podcast, you threw in uh, very, very flippantly, I may say, oh, and, you know, we had to reschedule this because you were working with some Olympians yesterday. I mean, how, how you know, uh, that's such a throwaway comment. I was like, well, okay, yeah, that, that's pretty <laughs> impressive. <laughs> so, and obviously that's linked very much to the range of services that you offer, you know, because clearly, you know, you might be doing stuff at more community level, but then at the opposite end, in that high performing arena of olympians um you know clearly that's 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 a very different scenario but what are the common approaches that do you think you apply regardless of almost like the level and or is it very different the approach you take i mean there are, there's obviously going to be big differences in the approach to the technical side of coaching with the high level mm -hmm. athletes and the lower level ones but ultimately you're just dealing with people you know it doesn't matter if you're an olympian training 30 hours a week or whether you're a 9 year old um, gymnast just doing one hour a week. I mean, ultimately we've all got those same drives and those same needs, you know, the need to be valued, um, you know, the need to feel like we're contributing, feel like we're growing, you know, these are just human qualities. It doesn't matter what level you are. They are all incredibly important. And so I try now, and this is something that I've had to learn to do as I've gained more life experience, not even coaching experience is, is really think about people first, um, and, and understanding human behavior, you know, what, what does motivation mean? You know, how does it change for different people? How can you make people feel good? How can you bring out the best of, of somebody? Again, it doesn't matter if you're a 30-year-old Olympian or if you're a nine-year-old recreational gymnast. And, and I do think it's important, certainly for coaches, to keep their feet on the ground and to, and to work at a different range of of levels on the spectrum because I, I came from a recreational background as I said I was a five-year-old gymnast with no talent whatsoever doing one hour a week as much as I wanted to be a great gymnast it was never going to happen um, but that has led me to being a national coach for Great Britain a consultant to 20 countries I've now got a business that employs people and you know you never know when you're when I'm coaching and I'm working with a really low-level athlete you don't know who that person could become and mm. what what um, what role sport will play for them in the future. And I think that's a really important thing because certainly in the elite world, you can kind of get a bit carried away with just the performance side of it and, and forget, you know, it's not just about results. There's more to this than just results. Yeah, that that is that is such a, a great point you make, you know, because whatever you, whatever we do in life, you are dealing with people, relationships, um, and it's not just around, um, it's not just around, I guess the destination, the end point, it's the journey along the way as well that, that has equally, if not more, um, meaning and impact for some people, I, I guess, as well. It's, it's a great perspective to think about. And, and, you know, Nick, some of the things, just to pick up on a couple of points that you've mentioned here, you know, you, you talked about um, kind of mindset, really, and motivation and getting the best out of people, uh, which is such a critical area in 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 life isn't it you know I mean I talk a lot about mindset and I work directly with my one-to-one -one mentee clients a lot on mindset 
So in the world of sport that you're in, how, how big a role does that play between the physical capability to succeed and win medals versus the sort of mental side of things? Yeah, it's it's massive. It's, uh, you know, people always say that gymnastics or sport is 90% psychological and, and 10% physical. Now, uh, you know, without going into the detail of whether I believe that's an accurate uh, <laughs> ratio or not, ultimately, if, if your mindset's not in the right place, if your psychology is not right as an athlete or a coach, then yeah, it's not, you're not going to fulfill your potential. You're not going to go places. And so I think it's very, very important, particularly for coaches who are often the people instilling the mindset, the belief system into these young athletes that they're working with, for example, because of course, as mm. coaches, we are very impressionable onto the athletes. We have to be seen as a, as a role model, quite rightly. We're there to guide them and to nurture them. So if as an adult, our mindset's not in the right place, if our belief system and our values are are not great, not optimal, then of course, that's going to rub off on the people that we spend our time with. And if that's mm. a nine-year-old girl, they're going to be heavily influenced by that as well. And that could change their whole life, right? In terms of their self-esteem, self-confidence, self-belief. So it's it's very important for, for coaches in particular and anyone in life who's, who's impacting others. And let's be honest, that is everybody um, yeah. to really think about their mindset. I do, I do think that's incredibly important. Yes. And sport is a great vessel for teaching people how to cope with yeah, the the inevitable adversity that you're going to face through sport and beyond, uh, failure, etc. But people are only able to frame that correctly if they've got the tools to do so. Mm. If not, failure can sabotage people. And again, that's where a good coach comes into play because a bad coach might instill this instill this belief into a young athlete that failure is unacceptable, and it means that you're worthless. And and a great coach is going to help you to leverage adversity and failure correctly. That, honestly, that leads in absolutely perfectly because, you know, I mean, the, this podcast is called Brave, Bold, Brilliant, right? And, and very often, you know, having the courage to actually throw yourself into whatever it is, it does take bravery and, 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 a, and a certain mindset and approach. So, you know, the, this idea of failure, I often think that as society, we, 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 we almost set ourselves up for, up for failure because of our approach to, to the word. You know, it's almost like seen as uh, is such a negative way, whereas actually it's all learning, isn't it? And, and Absolutely. progress, you know, you can't have there's light and shade in everything. You know, you can't have the success without the failures along the way. And, and I think that's such an important point that you make. So when you're working with people in this particular area, Nick, in, in the concept of failure and of dealing with loss or maybe not winning the medal or, or getting the times that you're looking for, whatever it might be, how, how do you approach it? What's the sort of advice that you, you instill in people and how you, you, you create that right mindset in the context of failure? Yeah, so I think the first thing is to manage expectations and to help the athlete in this case to understand that mm -hmm. failure is not only um, acceptable, it's expected. And therefore, there, is, there isn't a repercussion of it. There are just learnings and lessons. Now, I'm not one of these people to say that there's no such thing as failure. I don't believe in that statement. There is. If you set a goal and you don't achieve it, then technically you fail to achieve that goal. Mm -hmm. That's not a negative thing. It's just an opportunity to learn. And the athletes need to learn, need to understand that as well. And it's about managing those expectations so that when failure comes along, it doesn't feel like the world's ending. You know, it doesn't feel like you're you're you know you're valueless, you're worthless, or or at least yeah, that your whole sense of self esteem and your belief system about yourself is based on that result and that outcome. It's not. You know, failure is just something that happens. It's not you. It is just an event that occurred. You know, it doesn't define you, right? So mm -hmm. I think when you set an athlete up with that kind of mentality, when they experience 
adversity or maybe they don't get the result that they want and something doesn't go quite right, you can just look back and say, yeah, I told you this is going to happen and it's going to happen again. And I'm absolutely okay with it. So let's, so whilst we're going to strive to make sure this doesn't happen next time, if it does, we're actually in a really good position to learn from it, to help you improve and, and build upon what you've done, because you can't go through life without feedback. Like it's feedback in everything that we do. You know, me looking at you on the screen here and, and hearing you is, is feedback. You know, you can't you can't live without it. So it's just about understanding that failure is feedback if you leverage it and if you use it successfully. And um, if you can instill that into a young athlete, then of course there's no stopping them. By the time they get to 14, 15, 16 years old, and they've been receiving that message for five, six years, they've already experienced failure and they've pushed through it and they've actually leveraged it to improve their performance they, they'll never look at failure as a bad thing mm, i mean it's such a, it's such a key role that you play isn't it there's quite a responsibility that comes along with that as you say you know the 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 impression of that nine-year-old girl and you know that could set her on on down one certain path or a different path depending on on sort of you know the influence that you can have as well so do you do you feel that personally you know do you do you feel the weight of the responsibility of what you do or is it just that you're so kind of confident and and you know you know your stuff that you don't take things personally no, I think it's definitely conscious. It has to be conscious. And I think if um, if coaches are not consciously thinking about the role that they play, then you can get into hot water and start to lead with behaviours that, that wouldn't be good. And I think the more front of mind you keep it, the better. So again, you know, just in an environment yesterday, even with working with an athlete who has already competed at multiple Olympics, still front of mind, what's the message I need to be sending here? How do I deal with this situation? How do I not want to come across what does the athlete need from me? You know, you, you've got to keep these things front of mind because that helps you to improve performance. And I think that irrespective of how confident I might be with that approach, ultimately confidence can lead to complacency. And when you become complacency, sorry, complacent, you start to, you start to miss things. Mm-hmm. And it's never, and there's almost like an arrogance in that. I believe that you've got, you've got to stay at the sharp end of, of thinking about how can I be better now? And if I just let it all become completely unconscious and just leave with confidence, and I think I think my my performance as a coach would probably um, not improve, but go the other way. Mm, yeah, I mean, it's fascinating. And you know, and for you, Nick, I mean, you've obviously spent so much of your life helping other people, right? And you've got a lot of you. Know, you, you know, when you said you were thirty three, I was gutted. Actually, I thought, bloody hell. <laughs> <laughs> making me feel really old but um but no I mean you've got a lot you've got very a very wise head on your shoulders may I say you know which has clearly come from all of the you know effort and focus you've put into this but if if you think about your kind of own personal situation you know with your family and, and kind of how life started for you and where you were brought up what what parts of, of that have have helped or hindered you um in in what you do now do you think um, oh gosh, that's a, that's a tough question. That one, that's, that's taking me by surprise. I would say, uh, look, I had a very stable, supportive, loving home life. And I think that that was amazingly important. My parents have always supported my decisions and I think everyone needs a support network. Mm. Um, where I've been able to scale the business to its, to its point now is, um, and the business is, let's say it's been trading for kind of six years, if you like, or five, five years. Um, I've only been able to do that with the support from my fiance, Leonie as well. And, you know, in an average in an average month, you know, over the last few years, obviously not for the last period because of the pandemic, but I could be in five countries a month, um, you know, two, two countries a week, you know, easily. And for me to be away from home that much, to be spending time with other people, all to build the business, to, to get to a point where, 
you know, we're financially more stable, you know, we can build a better future. And obviously the business can, can start to go from a job to an actual business where we're employing people. It's taken an awful lot of graft, an awful lot of hard work. And without Leone being there for me going, it's, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. And being that supportive partner, I wouldn't have been able to do it. And, and, and that has been incredibly important. And I do empathize for, um, you know, for others that don't have that same relationship. You know, they're, they're trying to achieve something, whether it's um, through, through their business, um, you know, or following a new passion and they don't have the support of their partners. That's a really tricky place to be as, you know, it creates conflict at home and you need harmony, of course, because business is messy. You'll know that business is really <laughs> messy. You know, it, it never goes to plan. It's, it's, challenging there's a lot of good that comes from it but boy is it tough running a business and if you don't have a bit of stability in your life as well in my case coming from my partner and my family then I think I would have really struggled with it Mm, yeah and you're so right you know that who you spend time with and the people that that are in your life can make such a difference in terms of how you can progress or, or push, push, you know, be brave and push those boundaries. Like you say, it's not easy building a business from scratch, even if you're following your passion and you love what you do. It's still tough, isn't it? You know, it is very tough. Um, and I think sometimes when people see the external Nick, you know, because you are very front facing, you know, yeah. you're out there as a as a well-known professional in your field and you're the strong one. You know, you're the one that's front of house and um, focusing on other people a lot of the time. Probably what people don't see so much are the struggles along the way um, yep. and the difficulties. Um, and, you know, obviously you said six years that the business has been um, kind of up and running, uh, which is brilliant. So massive congratulations on that. Thank you. Um, what would you say has been the biggest challenge for you during that time? Oh, this is this is an easier one to because there's just been so many. No, really, there is. There are so many challenges with running a business, and particularly yeah. in, in my path. Because let's be honest, I, I started as a as a gymnastics coach, which I still am. That's still my bread and butter. Um, you know, with no formal training of you know how do you start a business, and so you make you just make mistakes on the way. And again, you've got to just understand that that's going to be part of the process. My first stab at a business, I, you know, I threw about fifty grand into an app, which never even launched. So that was my first step into the world of okay, let's try and do. Some something on your own and that failed miserably <laughs> you know it couldn't couldn't have been worse you know it put me into debt it didn't even launch there was a bit of pride there because obviously I told everyone this app was launching and and um you know I had to carry the burden of that debt through the business moving forwards so that was that wasn't pleasant but rather than giving up then it was a case of okay well how can I resolve this you know I always knew that I wanted to have a business and uh, essentially I think that what was interesting there was the ownership that you have of something like the business is my baby, right? It's, it's mine. It belongs to me. I can make it work or not. So, you know, that led into new and new avenues with what I'm doing now, but, um, financial difficulties, like running large national conferences again, which have never been run before in the UK, like a, a, a gymnastics conference in a conference venue, as opposed to a gymnastics club, right now, hugely successful in terms of the, the participation, the, um, the profile, I guess, that came from that event and the, all the positive PR. And one of my most important things is, is impact and contribution. It ticked all of those boxes, but it certainly didn't tick the financial box. It put us in even more into debt. So there's these challenges on the way that you kind of learn through experience and, 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 and putting those events on, understanding how they haven't worked, 
replanning and re-strategizing the next time around, you know. And so I think a lot of the challenges on the way have been have been financial. I think the ongoing one is that my industry is a non-sexy one, really, is education. Mm. You know, a lot of people unfortunately don't feel like they either need to engage with that, you know, in terms of, you know, how many gymnastics coaches out there want to spend money for education? Not many, I'll be honest. And it, and it's, mm. a, it's a, um, a pr- probably a quite a price sensitive audience because it's, you know, low disposable income, you know, coaches aren't on big salaries typically. So, you know, trying to get people to understand what they need r- rather than what they want is an ongoing challenge, I think, within the education space. Mm. And that is something that is, is constantly quite difficult. Yeah, no, that's that's a really fascinating perspective, actually, because I think you're right. You know, there's well, there's a lot of free stuff online as well, isn't there? Which is great because you can really sort of, you know, gen up uh, far more than certainly in my day um, back back in the day. But the the flip side of that is that, you know, people sometimes think they don't need education they don't need coaching um but you know i always say the best investment you can ever make is in yourself um and that that can be investment in terms of financial investment or it can be investment in time you know effort mindset you know whatever but but investment in yourself is what's going to make the big difference i think um 100%. field yeah and and how different is it nick when obviously you're you work directly with um you know elite athletes or athletes at any level but elite athletes where you're one to one um as you were doing yesterday with your sessions i believe um versus you know i guess teaching teaching the teacher almost you know mm-hmm. teaching the coach so, so they're quite, I would imagine they're quite different approaches that you need to take. What, do you want to just talk us through that and how you, how you, you manage those two, two sides of your business, really? Yeah. Um, and fortunately, they all weave under the same umbrella, which is good. And I think that's part of the, 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 um, the good in what I've done. It's, I've got loads of different services, but ultimately it all comes down to connecting to gymnastics you know which is great mm. so it doesn't matter if you're listening to a podcast you're going to an event you're watching one of my online courses you're a part of my subscription ultimately it's all just talking about the same topic you know so it's multiple revenue streams for the same industry but um yeah ultimately dealing with an athlete dealing with a coach there are look, there's probably more com- common themes there than you'd imagine again because it, it comes okay. down to you can you share a message and i and i picked this up from it was john wasn't it from your previous bbc podcast it was a fantastic episode mm. and it was all about you know brevity can you be clear can you be concise can you be compelling you know can you take people along with you on the journey it doesn't matter if that's an athlete it doesn't matter if that's a coach you need to get a message to them that they understand that they believe in that they can repeat if it's a behavior um so there's, there's actually a lot of a lot of commonalities there now yeah the athlete i was working with yesterday is 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 pushing the limit of yeah upper 20 now but if you're working with a nine-year-old of course you've got to simplify that even more mm. you know you've got to take complex topics and break them down into some something which is super super simple but again i would do that with with coaches mm. because if you've got an inexperienced coach that doesn't understand the terminology they, they might, might not have the technical eye to see mistakes you've got to be able to take complex topics and uh, make them sticky for people so they can retain that information and really own it and uh, and learn from it ultimately Mm, that that's brilliant and uh, i'm delighted that you actually listened to john young's uh, episode as well he's an inspiring guy and again from a very different field you know media bbc um journalism etc but uh, it just shows doesn't it how we can really pick up 
nuggets from each other um, and, and sort of think, oh, yeah, actually, that resonates with me. So I think you're absolutely right. Keeping it simple doesn't matter what field you're in. Sometimes we can overcomplicate it. You know, I mean, yep. I do do advisory work with businesses. Very often I look at the business and I think, my gosh, there's so much complexity and layering on of stuff, processes, data. You know, actually, what? let's cut to the chase. What is it that we're trying to achieve? Um, and just just being able to communicate that, I think, is a real skill. So, I mean, it's obviously something you do very, very successfully. Um, I just wanted to pick up on something slightly different, if I may, Nick, because I just have a genuine interest in this myself. So I'm being slightly selfish by this. <laughs> but I, I love the fact that you work internationally. Um, and through my career, I've worked internationally as well. You know, I spent a lot of time in China, India, Russia, uh, buying and running businesses. Very different environment. But, you know, I noticed that you spend a lot of time away. I mean, I think, you know, Japan, Germany, Brazil, Romania, I'm sure there's like an endless list of countries Mm -hmm. and and nationalities that you've worked with in the gymnastics world. So how how important um, have you found the appreciation of the cultural differences um, and, and what sort of adaptations do you personally make when you're dealing with a different culture? Because um, I think it's quite an interesting area. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, again, some like Europe. A lot of Europe's pretty similar in the approach. And um, but Japan for me was definitely the biggest cultural shift. You know, being in that mm. environment and understanding, and, and it threw me off quite a lot. And um, you know, th- there's not a lot of. Uh, you know, I remember doing a lecture in front of the Japanese coaches, and uh, I didn't get any form of response from them whether that was a clap or a smile or or anything it was it was very serious and i and i, and I thought oh that must have been an absolutely terrible presentation <laughs> and then and then the, the the person that was facilitating the the session for me and translating said after said i've just spoken to the coaches they thought your session was absolutely fantastic thank you so much and i was like really because and and so yes there are differences absolutely in in, in, in approach and understanding the culture um and it's, it's important that you connect with that, but also recognizing that if you're being, if you're a consultant, you're stepping into those environments, then they, they want something from you. They want something from your culture as well, from your philosophies. There's no point in stepping into someone else's world. And, and of course we have to respect their culture, but there's no point just sharing ideas that they're already familiar with and the things that they're already doing. What they need is something different. And so it's mm. getting that balance right between, okay, what value can I add here and how can I be super respectful, but also learn from the environment that I've seen. And, and again, Japan, what an amazing learning opportunity for me to, to rub shoulders with some of the world's best athletes and coaches from an entirely different culture with an entirely different approach. And so uh, I think it's about striking a balance. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, I don't know if, if, if you've ever found this, Nick, but certainly when I with, when I've worked in different environments like that, even coming back to a sort of a more Western European approach, I, I, I've I've picked up more nuances around reading people in, in a different way and being able to be even more sensitive, even within you know the British culture, shall we say, or, or you know more of the normal environment you're used to, just because yep. you, you look at things from a slightly different perspective, having been in those parts of the world. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's just, yeah, those little things that you pick up on, probably quite unconsciously as well, really, um, which is which is fascinating. And again, some environments I've been into and I've, and I've had to leave them. You know, I've got in and, and the values and the philosophies of that environment have been so far removed from from mine as an organization, as an individual, that I've had to say, I'm really sorry, but I'm going to have to go. <laughs> you know, so it's it's also knowing that you've got to stay true to what your values are as well. Uh, you know, don't try and be all things to all people. Um, and so there's some you know pretty serious things there we've got to consider. Yeah, there's another great nugget there from you, actually, in terms of being, having the confidence to say no and to say, actually, this isn't right for me. I don't think it's right for you either, but it's definitely not right for me. So I am going to walk away. Yeah. Um, how have you managed? Is that something that you've got better with over the years, Nick? Or is it just something that's always sort of been been kind of in you to be able to deal with that saying no? Uh, it's definitely something I've had to learn. And I think, you know, when you start a business, you want to have, you want to help everybody. You want to satisfy everyone. You want to be everyone's hero. Um, and you're trying to get the business off the ground, right? So you take on every job and everything and, and that's fine. But eventually that pressure kind of comes off and you think I can be a bit more selective now. Um, and I am selective. You know, I, I interview a lot of my clients before I would take them on. I've, I say no to most of them. I'll be honest with you, because if it's not right for me, it's not right for them. Mm. Um, so probably over 50% of people that apply for some of my programs, I just say, I'm sorry, I just don't think it's going to be a good investment for you. And that's the ethical Mm. thing to do as well. And I think that, um, it's difficult and they're uncomfortable conversations, but once you become comfortable being uncomfortable, right, then the whole thing gets easier. And you know, ultimately that you're doing the right thing for the other individual or the other nation, if it's a federation that I'm working with. Um, But yeah, I do say, do say no quite a lot now. And I think, again, it comes down to protecting my time and Mm. valuing my time and, and that I can't, if I try and spread myself too thin and satisfy everyone, I'll end up doing a really substandard job with everybody. So actually, if I can just kind of narrow narrow it down, the amount of people I'm working with or the amount of other sort of opportunities, such as this podcast, for example, you know, if someone wants time in my diary or they ask me to do something, I've really got to consider, you know, um, is that the right thing for me? Mm. Am I able to give that 100% attention? Is my diary so full that I'm going to end up doing a really bad job at it? You know, and so, um, yeah, I actually find it quite easy now, but it certainly wasn't the case before. Yeah, well, I feel very honoured and privileged that I made <laughs> <laughs> I could I could have been a big flat no, but you said yes, you see. So I'm delighted. Thank you very much. <laughs> no, and, it, and it's important that it's not an ego thing. It's not about being, oh, I'm too good for this. I'm too good for that. It's nothing to do with that whatsoever. It's about, you know, business owners are busy people. So are coaches, you know, and technically I think most people are in life. We're really busy and we, we can choose what we give our time to. Like this for me is an enjoyable experience. I'm enjoying it. Selfishly, I'm gaining from this some more clarity about my own answers as well, which is fantastic. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, you know, and I get, get the opportunity to, to engage and meet with another business owner, which is great. So, you know, these are the things that I enjoy doing, but there'll be, there'll be other things which, um, yeah, will, will be on my radar that people would ask. And I wouldn't get that. I wouldn't either feel like I'm able to serve that person properly and really help them or selfishly help myself a little bit as well. And when you've got a finite time in your diary, you've really got to be selective and you shouldn't be apologetic about that. You should be very purposeful and objective about how you're using your time. Yeah, no, that's great advice to people listening. Absolutely. And you, you mentioned there about ego. Um, mm. And and so what part does ego play, not necessarily with you, but in the world of, of sports in particular, when you get to be, you know, at an elite level where you're almost like you're a personality, aren't you? You're a brand, you become a brand um, as an elite athlete, an elite gymnast. How, how does that how does that play out in, in your world? 
well this is a tough one there's a lot of ego in sport and i can't yeah. say that all of it's good uh, most of it certainly within the coaching world is not good at all it's destructive um you need an element of it you know if, if you if you've got your athlete let's say okay an olympian is an extreme example but even a an athlete that's going to step out in front of a few hundred people in the audience some judges you want them to really like raise their arm with confidence and say watch me this is going to be a great routine. There's probably an element of ego in that. Not, not an arrogance, but just, uh, you know, you've got to be comfortable out there. Um, and I think that there's a, there, there is a line, of course, and we all know that. And unfortunately, and I have to say that I was there myself. I was over the line when I was a younger coach. I had a huge ego. It was a wild ego when I was, you know, young, inexperienced, um, you know, thought I knew it all. And I think that's, again, a transition that a lot of us go through as just we just mature through life, right? Mm. And so it's just a case of, of being as self-aware as possible, like understanding your ego, you know, when does it start to scream? When does it need suppressing? When do you need to actually inflate it a bit and go, come on, like you, you can do this, you know, like be awesome right now, be unapologetically awesome. And so I think it's all about self-awareness. And again, it doesn't matter if you're in sport or business, you know, or any other industry, we need to be as self-aware as possible because, you know, emotional intelligence, which is a really hot topic at the moment, is going to cover that, right? It's how self-aware are you? How well do you know, uh, or how do you know about the your actions and behaviors, how they impact other people? How are the people around you feeling right now? You know, that level of empathy. And, and I think ego comes into that umbrella, really, of emotional intelligence. So um, yeah, self-awareness, very, very important. Not something that I've always had, something that I think we should all continue to strive to improve. And it's a journey that actually I'm, I'm finding really enjoyable, learning more about myself and, and improving myself. Yeah, that's great. And, and you're right. Sometimes it involves holding a mirror up to ourselves and, and really taking a good, honest look and, and not kidding ourselves. Because the easiest person to kid is sometimes yourself, isn't it? You know, and uh, I think you're right. There's a role for ego that's got a positive side, but it's also got a negative side. It's often linked to, to confidence as well. Right. And the, the external display of, of confidence, which can turn to arrogance, as you described yeah. earlier. But what, I guess one, one aspect that I'm quite interested in, uh, more from a gender perspective, really, because Obviously, you work with male and female athletes and male and female coaches, presumably. Um, do you see any sort of differences in uh, on the gender side of, of sort of the sport at all? Actually, I only work with female athletes. Ah, uh, but I apologise. That's fine. But we do spend a lot of time, obviously, in, in uh, you know, uh, different environments where there are, you know, male and female athletes working at the same time. Mm. Um, there are some subtle differences, I'd say, um, you know, as a general rule, this is very general, of course, there's no science behind this to my knowledge anyway. I don't want to um, misshare information here, but <laughs> yeah, you tend to find that the male athletes are much, much more likely just to give something a go. They're not so worried about, you know, how it's going to turn out. But then I also think, you know, is there a part of conditioning in that, in that the, the approach to coaching male and female athletes is slightly different and therefore we kind of condition that way of thinking mm. and uh, so I don't actually necessarily think it's a <clears throat> it's a gender thing I think it's more of a learned behavior kind of thing you mm, know. interesting yeah yeah and um just coming back to what you were saying before about ego and about holding up a mirror because I think that that is probably a really important lesson that I can share for people as well is that being reflective is uncomfortable particularly if you're like you said you're holding up that mirror and you don't like what you see 
but you can either continue to demonstrate behaviors for your whole life that you don't like or that aren't representing you in a good right, they're not uh, a good light or helping you move forwards, or you can hold up that mirror, be uncomfortable, address the situation and actually leverage those, those lessons as well. And I think that for me, again, this journey of self-awareness, there's been multiple times and I'm sure there'll be multiple times in the future where I've really had to hold that mirror up and say, mm. you were wrong. Your behavior is not right. You're not coming across right. And you've got to have, again, the awareness, the humility and the vulnerability to go, OK, I'm going to I'm going to reflect on it. I'm going to learn from it. I'm going to leverage it. And it's going to help me to move forwards because ultimately, look, we're all human, right? We've got to have we've got to be a bit compassionate and say we're going to make mistakes. We're going to screw up an awful lot. Could be the way that you treat someone. It could be a, a bad decision that costs you a lot of money. It could be, um, you know, jobs that you turn down. It's all sorts of different things, uh, you know, behaviors, relationship management, and ultimately, being compassionate and going, it's going to happen. It's going to happen again and again and again. And, and as although I consider myself to be very self-aware now, I'm going to make a huge mistake in the future that I'm going to really regret again. But yeah. there's no point kind of burying your head in the sand, right? You've got to address it. And 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 I think a lot of people struggle with that notion of actually being vulnerable and having that sense of humility. And they shouldn't. Mm. We're all human. We're all running the same race. We're making the same mistakes. Yeah, there's so much in there that's the, that I'm sure anyone listening is going to really take a lot from, to be honest, Nick, because... You know, I think, um, you know, for me, the bravery is often about about addressing those things, as you say, that self-awareness and and kind of accepting, cutting ourselves some slack, but also accepting when we're when maybe we haven't behaved in the in the best way or we've got certain personality traits that don't bring out the best or, or impact other people negatively. And, you know, some some people never really take a long, hard look because it is uncomfortable. Um, but if you do you've absolutely got a choice as to what you can do with that knowledge and awareness. And, you know, you can decide how you put that to good new, good use going forward, isn't it? So, so it is brave to, to yeah. those things. Absolutely. And I think that that's being a high performing individual, you know, think about the world of sport when you, when you, you've no stone is left unturned and that comes down to behaviors of everybody involved, athlete, coach, psychologist, physio, physiotherapist, like everything's scrutinized and it should be to make sure that you're doing the right things, you know, and the world of business should be the same as well. You know, no stone should be left unturned. And, and a lot of that, if you're the business owner and your behaviors are, are then impacting a whole team of people and you're, you've got a massive role within that organization and other people's lives as well. And if you can't self-reflect, there's a good chance that your team won't either because of that learned behavior, spending time with people that maybe point the blame at others. And, and therefore you've got that blame culture, there's a lot in it. I think reflection is really, really important and just just having that humility and vulnerability. Yeah, absolutely spot on. I couldn't agree more with you, absolutely, you know, really. And and, and then for you, um, you know, Nick, you've given so much great advice um, through your experience on this podcast and, and I really am very grateful for that. Um, just a couple of final questions, if you don't mind. Um, so can you think of the best piece of advice you've ever been given yourself from someone else? uh the best oh, so many bits um keep your, <laughs> keep your head down and work hard was probably from and that came from one of my role models and so you know them saying you know i believe in you but keep your head down just work hard that was that was really quite pivotal for me mm. um because ultimately i don't actually think that any of this is particularly difficult you know the tasks that we're doing you know but it's just there's so much of it to do there's so many tasks to do Mm. work ethic is incredibly important i don't think there's much complexity even in gymnastics it's, it's you'd look at it and go it's wow it's a complex sport it is but actually everything's easy to learn 
nothing, none of it's difficult to learn, but there's just so many things to learn. And so work ethic and, and really just working and working and working. I think that's, that's, that's been important for me. That's probably one of the best bits of advice. Yeah, well, you sound like you are definitely working incredibly <laughs> and, in, and working smart, which is, which, is, which is equally important, right? Um, and can you think of any bad advice you've ever been given? Um, yeah, okay. So I don't know if this is going to be useful for the audience, but I was, wor- I was working with uh, an organization once and I was saying, this is when I first started consulting. And uh, I said, I don't know what to charge. Just don't know how what to charge people. Went through a series of questions, and they gave me a figure. My gut feeling was just like, no, that's just not that's not right. It's too. It was way too much for for the audience that like I knew the market, and they didn't. And they convinced me, although my feeling and my gut said it's not right. They said, no, 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 you've got to do this, and I did it, and it nearly cost me the relationship with this potential client. And I should have followed my instincts because mm. I knew that in this, in this case, I knew that market, I knew the market better than this external organization. And then the lesson I took from that is, is twofold. One, nothing is more important than the relationship that you have with a potential client. That's, that's number one. Number two, it's to trust your instincts. And I think that, yeah, whilst we might not ha- know all things and we can obviously learn a lot from other people, there is that gut feeling sometimes that's not right. Like I, that doesn't sit well with me. And, and now if something doesn't sit right, I either park it or I'll then look for a second opinion just to make mm. sure. And I think mm. that's uh, probably hopefully a, maybe a, a lesson that people can take away as well. Follow, follow well, your instincts. Well, I think that's a massively valuable for anyone listening. So your original statement of I'm not <laughs> useful, I, I completely disagree with and it is incredibly useful. So thank you for that. Good. Um, so the last question I've got for you is what does brave, bold, brilliant mean for you? Oh, brave, bold, and brilliant. Um, brave, bold, and brilliant. Well, the boldness and, and the bravery, I think, for me, kind of connect together. You know, it's about being unapologetically yourself, okay? Leading with passion, being bold for me, like, you know, good energy, and being comfortable with risk and failure. That's the, I think that is really important, you know, and not letting the adversity and the failure that you might experience and probably will, let's be honest, you probably will not letting that form part of your identity. So they, they often say, you know, courage is feeling fear and, and taking action anyway. And I completely agree. And I think that's being bold. You know, this is my values. These are my philosophies. This is what I want. I'm going to be very deliberate and very intentional and I'm going to, I'm going to move forwards. And if it doesn't work, I'm going to move forwards anyway. And hopefully brilliance will come on the back of that actually I don't really think that you can fail in being brilliant if you just are yourself and you you put all your energy into something with passion then you're going to be on to a winner so that's that's what it means to me oh well fantastic well I would agree you are most definitely brave bold and brilliant Nick so th- thank you so much thank for you the podcast I really appreciate it thank you so much I've enjoyed my time with you thank you very much really appreciate it